0: Welcome to the Green Edge Podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our update for the week ending twenty first of July, twenty twenty three. In this week's Green Edge post, we're returning to the theme of competences for sustainability, but this time we're not focusing on what we might call the functional skills frameworks. In other words, the ones like ONET. ESCO and quite a few others that link to occupations, but instead we're dipping into the human frameworks, the ones that describe the shared values, beliefs, norms and mindsets that we could argue everyone on this planet needs if we're going to shape a sustainable future. In particular, this week we're looking at the European Sustainable Competences Framework, GreenComp. Now, the EU Science Hub tells us that GreenComp is a reference framework that advances a consensual definition of what sustainability as a competence entails. It tells us it's responding to the growing need for people to improve and develop the knowledge, skills and attitudes they need to live, work and act in a sustainable manner and is designed to support education and training programmes for lifelong learning. It goes on to say that it's written for all learners, irrespective of their age and their education level, and in any learning setting, formal or otherwise. And is designed to help them become systemic and critical thinkers, to develop agency, and to form a knowledge basis for everyone who cares about our planet's present and future state. All good stuff. But thinking about schools, Michael, here's the question. Given how full the average pupil's life is in the UK with the task of passing exams, how might something like Green Comp manage to get
1: shoehorned in? I suppose there are two primary routes in. There's one what I'll call the simple route. You just add another qualification at GCSE or at A level and have that as a qualification. And also at T level, you could have one around sustainability. But I think where greater mileage is to be done is for people to look at the Green Comp list and cross match that with the competences developed through years 7 to the years 11 with the curriculum maps. Most schools will have full curriculum maps across those five years. They will show the level of progression and detail and also the skills, ability and knowledge and competences developed during those five years of study. And you could look at the overlaps. And I think if you look at a number of core subjects, you would see those overlaps being quite high with the ones listed by Green Comp.
0: Could it be a case of building the competence training into existing subjects?
1: Exactly right. I think you have to do the integration. If you're looking for extra time, it is quite difficult You know, schools operate on a 180 day year cycle. So you've got five of those. So you've got 900 days worth of education. And then you look at how that time is then used. It's quite a big challenge, to put it mildly, especially with the heavy weight provided to or focused on English and mathematics to consume quite a lot of teaching hours. But even into those two subjects, you can bring in many of the areas covered by the Green Comp. And the broader one, the human capabilities standards, the reference model developed by the Australians would overlap into this for me as well.
0: Now, one of the competences we see in Green Comp and other frameworks is problem framing, which is designed to address the so-called wicked problems, which of course climate change and mitigation most certainly is. Among other things, framing involves defining the scope, highlighting the interconnections, emphasising urgency and responsibility, and fostering knowledge sharing. And I guess, Michael, thinking about iFate's task in integrating sustainability competences into it, something like 680 currently approved standards, this must feel a little wicked right now and might need a bit of framing. It's
1: a big task. They have already started the process by adding and identifying green particular competence and capabilities within their existing standards framework, but they could go further because I think many of the competencies listed by GreenComp can be brought across through practical application and therefore looking at placements and projects that people can do to actually develop these competencies in a sustainable environment and context or achieving sustainable outcomes. It needs planning and it isn't purely falling upon the shoulders of IFATE, but the many workplaces where people will develop these skills and many colleges where people will study. So if they are active in this process, those three settings together can hopefully crack this over the next few years. And increasingly, that's becoming more and more important.
0: Now, another layer of thinking to apply to this topic is where qualifications might fit in. And one word that we hear increasingly related to green and other skills is micro-credentials. Micro-credentials, sometimes called digital badges or even nano-degrees, are short and focused certification programmes that offer specific skills and knowledge in particular subject areas. They've gained popularity in recent years due to their flexibility and relevance to the job market. However, like any educational approach, they come with pros and cons. On the plus side, they're short durations, so they're good for upskilling or reskilling. They're focused on specific skills. They're flexible and, for the most part, online. They recognise achievement, often by awarding digital badges to go into your digital skills wallet, and they promote a culture of continuous learning. But we also hear criticism of them that includes limited depth, variable quality, and even, dare we say, a chance of cowboys coming into the market, along with limited recognition, potential for leaving gaps, and, if people are doing lots of them, accumulating costs. Michael, what is your sage opinion on this matter?
1: I think micro-credentials have a vital role, but I think we need to understand that micro-credentials already exist within large credentials. They just happen to be grouped together and done over consolidated periods of time. Most people's education and training is lumped, and therefore they do 85 90% of their education and training in one huge package. It's called an apprenticeship or a degree or something like that, and then lots of else is spread out. Made up within those large qualifications or whole occupation qualifications are lots of micro-credentials that are accumulated at different levels and in a certain sequence. I think for me, it's understanding the micro-credential sequence and the level of what you're doing and the appropriateness of its delivery. You mentioned online. Yes, a lot of knowledge can be gained online, a lot of understanding can be gained online, and a certain level of conceptual thinking and cognitive ability can be developed online. But there are lots of practical things that are quite difficult to do online, and therefore you think you need to have the balance there. But I think we need to crack this and our reservations around it quite quickly, because we need a highly productive way to speed up the process of people acquiring skills that don't limit what they can do future in life. So they're not rate limiting factors for their own careers. And I think all the issues I've experienced in the past, and this was true. I remember doing youth training schemes at ICI in the late 70s, early 80s, and this was seen as a short duration cheapening of the apprenticeship. It was a stepping stone if managed well, which ICI used to do very, very well. I think we can crack that quite easily. I think our further education colleges are more than up to the task of doing this, given their knowledge of education and training, systems and procedures and methods of assessment that are appropriate to developing competent people.
0: We've certainly seen that the further education colleges are quite switched on in general, aren't they?
1: They are. They're very entrepreneurial. If you're running a college and you've got multiple income streams that are flexing around by government whim to some extent and changes in the population, they are fleet of foot and they seem to be working and creating a series of very effective alliances and networks to allow them to make collectively good decisions for the local areas.
0: And our usual reminder that you can find this week's post together with all our other green edge to micro goodness on greenedge.substack.com. And you can also find this podcast on all the major streaming platforms, including Apple, Google, and Amazon, but not Spotify yet. We're working on that. So Michael, we're almost at the end of July. Gosh, summer's flying. And beginning of August, you will be putting out your reports roundup for this month. What have you got so far?
1: Well, across our 16 pages or so of listings, two I'll pick out. One by the Parliamentary Office of Science and Technology. They have done a very good briefing paper on heat pumps. If you're looking for a document to give people who are sceptical, get this, download it and share it it is a practical quick read and hopefully our parliamentarians as they lounge on their lounges by the seaside will read it also to accelerate what we're doing and that leads me on to a second piece on seat pumps by mcs yes. they're the standards body for micro generation and registrations they did a report comparing uk and france on heat pumps They noted that in the UK, there are about 55,000 heat pumps gone in the last year against over 600,000 in France. Question why? Two things struck with us. One is France has a large heat pump manufacturing base and is 85% self-sufficient. The other part is that it has a large air conditioning installation sector because of the nature of the climate is somewhat different as you travel a thousand kilometers south. And therefore, this gives them a critical mass of skills of about 45,000 people who are heat pump wise. And that gives them a head start in relation to actually moving this forward. We need to jump our few thousand workers to about 20,000 heat pumps strong by 2030. Looks more than possible, given that there are 133,000 people registered as gas boiler installers. Solvable problem, but it's interesting to see some of the differences across Europe, and I thought this report highlighted them very effectively.
0: Ah, those Frenchmen and their technicians on climatisation. Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter, to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.